Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, who loves us with a transforming love. From our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, and from the Spirit who unites us all. Amen. When I was a young child, I learned the Lord's Prayer from a little ceramic Bible thing. It must have had flowers in it one time, maybe when I was born, and it just sat in my room. And so that's how I learned the Lord's Prayer. And the version I learned talked about debts and debtors, like forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, no, forgive our debtors, something like that. And then somewhere along the way, it switched. And for most of my growing up years, I prayed the Lord's Prayer this way. Feel free to say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Yeah. And that's the one I said for the longest time. Except then I started studying and I started learning more about Lutheran doctrine and I began to see and read scripture and understand who God was, and I began to chafe at this version because there was something wrong with lead us not into temptation. What could be wrong with that, right? Did you just hear the reading today, Pastor Karen? But the problem is that we don't believe as Lutherans that God leads us into temptation. Because we have a God who loves us because God loves us, not because of anything we do or any test we pass. And why else would anybody lead us into some sort of temptation other than to test to see how we do? So it makes more sense to me that we now pray, save us from the time of trial, which is much more consistent with what we know to be true about God in Jesus. But then we hear stories like the one we hear tonight of Isaac being bound and offered up as a sacrifice to God. Only an angel stays Abraham's hand right before he kills his own son. It's been really interesting this week to read about how folks have struggled with this story almost from the moment it was written down. I struggled with it. I've preached several sermons on this particular text, and I still don't think I got it right. It's so hard, mostly, because it's so sparse on details, and yet it has depth to it. Like, why did God ask Abraham to do this? And so people across the ages have been trying to fill in the gaps, and most of those gaps are filled in with non-human characters, like Satan or angels. And oftentimes those are protagonists of some kind. Uh, something like a Satan character who would challenge God to test Abraham to see how his faith would hold up a la Job. Or this same kind of Satan figure would be taunting Abraham on his way up to the mountain to get him to turn back, to not prove that he is so faithful. Or the angels are really jealous because Isaac was such an amazing person that they wanted to have him killed. And so they planted it in Abraham's ears. All of these things are 
put out there as ways that possibly this could be why this happens to kind of figure out what the purpose of this action is and why in the world would this be included in the story of Abraham. But more importantly, what does this mean for the relationship between God and God's people? I don't know that I have any more answers than the hundreds that have gone before me. But there are some things that rose to the surface for me as I read and reread this story. The first thing I noticed was the word test. After these things, God tested Abraham. These things that had happened beforehand refer to two events that we read about in the chapter before. The first is the shunning of Hagar and Ishmael. And the second is an agreement between King Abimelech, who had kidnapped Sarah, not knowing that she was Abraham's wife because Abraham had said that she was his sister, and that didn't really go well for any of them. So an, uh, an agreement between the king and Abraham that they would somehow live peaceably together in this land of the Philistines. So it is possible that these things was the agreement, but it could also be that after the actions of Sarah and Abraham against Hagar and Ishmael, that God puts Abraham to the test. I tend to lean toward the latter. It seems to me that throwing these two out into the wilderness would require some response from God, and that God, for some reason, would choose a sacrifice of Abraham's other son, which is what jars us so much about this story. This, however, would be a test of Abraham and Sarah's trust in God. After all, they did not trust that God would provide a son for them. Sarah laughs at that. And so take, they took matters into their own hands, only to have Sarah become pregnant, just like God promised. And then when it was inconvenient to have that first son around, Sarah sees Ishmael playing with Isaac and does not like that. Then they decide to banish him and his mother to the desert with just a jug of water, where he would have died had it not been for the intervention of God. So I can imagine that God was somewhat frustrated by their actions and needed to remind them that he was, no, needed to remind them that they needed to trust God. And when they didn't trust God, that they would do harm. But my modern sensibility still cannot make the story work in my heart nor in my head. I have a hard time reconciling it with the God that I know through Jesus. However, we have plenty of instances in Scripture where God does things we don't understand. I don't understand the flood, or the forced wandering in the desert, or the plagues, to name a few. They don't add up, and all of these acts have an edge of violence in them that makes it hard to read. But the cross has an edge of violence to it as well. So even considering Jesus and what we know about God through him, can we say that our God isn't a God that at, time, at times acts in violent ways that we cannot understand? We don't fully understand the death and resurrection of Jesus, nor the deep ramifications it has for our life. 
So it is, so is it any more of a stretch to imagine that we would understand this story of which we know so fewer details? Is that the answer? That Abraham and Sarah had forgotten the deep ramifications of God's presence in their lives and had reverted back to a way of life that didn't trust God? So God reminds them of what it means to trust? Maybe. Hard to say. But did you notice Abraham's response to any conversation that someone had with him? Whether it be God or his son or the angels, when they say his name, he says, here I am. And here's where I strongly suspect that there's much we don't know about those things and what would cause Abraham to be so apparently willing to sacrifice his son, although I actually don't believe that he was that calm, nor that Sarah was. I don't believe, and this is one of the things that other scholars have mentioned as well, that after waiting so long for a son or for any children, Abraham would be so cavalier with them. Except he is with Ishmael. Here's where Jesus gets in the way of my reading of this story, because it is through Jesus' actions that we know that God shows no partiality, that we are all equal in the eyes of God, loved, beloved of God, each of us. So for Abraham to so casually send his first son out into the desert, because now he has a real son, the one that God promised him to make many nations from, well, that would not have been okay with God, at least not the God we know through Jesus and those who have followed him. There's something about this story, though, that makes total sense. Because in our world, it would make sense for our God to test Abraham. Because we see testing all the time. How do we test people's loyalty? especially in stories that include any kind of betrayal or duplicitous actions. That's why Jesus challenges us so often, because Jesus turns that whole mentality that we sometimes have to prove to each other that we love each other, that we have to prove that we're on your side, that anytime we hear and see this grace that we are given and this love that we have of God that endures throughout time, that we hear and we see and we experience in baptismal waters, it's hard for us to believe. And so Jesus pushes us continually to believe that that is indeed true that here in these baptismal waters, we are reminded that even though in our humanness we fully expect God to test us and to ask impossible things of us and to challenge us, God in Jesus meets us in love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, ready to save us from the time of trial if it's only to walk with us through it, reminding us that we are loved by the Creator, redeemed by the Savior, and sustained by the Spirit. We may never know the full story behind the binding of Isaac. And I don't think that we need to, because we do know the story of God's love in the world. And we give thanks for Jesus and for all of those who have followed him that show us the way forward. Amen.